Well, good morning, church. Happy Valentine's Day. And I bet the last thing that you want to think about on Valentine's Day is breaking up, right? Because Valentine's Day is a day that even if you don't like to go on on dates, you sort of feel the pressure if you're single to get a date on Valentine's Day. Or if you're married, you're guaranteed a date on this day, uh, ladies. But the last thing that anyone wants to talk about on Valentine's is breaking up up, but that's exactly what I'm going to talk about today because that's the type of pastor that I am, one who keeps it real, and keeping it real means uh, that we have to look at some things that are tough and that aren't necessarily happy or joyful, but they're real. And speaking of real, uh, we're, we're going to begin a brand new series next week called Love Does, uh, where we're going to deal with some real subjects, some real tough subjects in our culture, and, and what does Christ have to say about them. And, but one of the sad realities of relationships is the breakup. It exists, and, and think of all of the celebrity breakups over the years, right? Who could forget about the horrible breakup between Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston, right? It led to the creation of uh, Brangelina, right? Or maybe Brangelina led to the demise of Brad and Jennifer. Either way, for those of us who came of age watching Rachel and Ross on Friends, seeing poor Jennifer Aniston go through that in real life, that was heartbreaking. And how about more recent uh, breakups like Blake Shelton and Miranda Lambert? I know a lot of you are still really sad uh, over that one, or Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin, right, the, the Coldplay guy, who went through what they called a conscious uncoupling. Now, you know whoever called it that? Conscious uncoupling? That's a cover-up for getting dumped. Like when, when your friends break up with one another and you ask them, did you break up or did they break up? And it, if they ever say, hey, it was mutual, you're talking to the dumpy, right? But breakups aren't always about romantic relationships. Sometimes it happens in business, and business partners will split ways, and there's a fork in the road. Take the case of Eduardo and Mark, right, the two creators of Facebook. Uh, they, they launched this company together, and as soon as the stock price went up, 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 Zuckerberg looked for a way to cut Eduardo out of it altogether. First, he took his 34% interest down to 5% before he just fired him altogether. But there was a happy ending for Eduardo because he sued uh, Mark Zuckerberg and, Zuckerberg, and he walked away with a cool $2 billion in cash. And, and that's the kind of breakup that most of us could try to stomach, right? But, but all month long, we've been looking at the better together life. And when we come together as believers and we live life together, there are all these benefits that we've talked about. And if you haven't been with us the last couple of weeks in this series, I would encourage you to go online and to watch them and to catch up with us because we can do so much more together than we can on our own. We looked at last week the fact that we are more sensitive uh, to the grace of God in the better together life. And, and we displayed the story of Jesus Christ better in the together uh, life. But the truth is this, that we are human, and as humans we are imperfect. And, and any time uh, you put two or more imperfect people together, there is bound to be tension and friction and disagreement. And it's going to happen. That is a fact. It, and it's what we do with that disagreement and tension and friction. 
that is so incredibly important. And we've been using the life of Barnabas as our outline over the last couple of weeks. And there's a handful of stories in the book of Acts. There's not a lot about Barnabas in the book, but as you look through these stories, they are packed with insights. And today we're going to come to the end of his story, his last story in the Bible, the last time he's mentioned in the Bible. And I want you to let me set the stage for you. Last week we left Barnabas in a place called Antioch. And he had made a really, really good and special friendship with Paul, who was Saul before, right? And Barnabas is in Antioch with a bunch of Gentile believers. And he thinks, hey, you know who would be really good here and would be great use to the kingdom here is Paul. Now let's look at that and let's pick up and get a running start from where we were last week in the book of Acts in chapter 11. And it says in verse 25, Then Barnabas went on to Tarsus to look for Saul. Remember, that's where Saul was from. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And so they set up shop in Antioch. Remember we said this is where they were first called Christians, and they've got teaching gigs there, right? They may be on staff at the church at Antioch, and things are going great, and there's this huge famine that is now coming through the land and it's wiping out crops and it hit Jerusalem extra hard right and so jump down to verse 29 and it says so the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea everyone giving as much as they could they did this entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem and so they go up to Jerusalem they deliver this gift a mission trip of sorts right and jump down to verse 25 it says when Barnabas and Saul I'm sorry chapter 12 verse 25 jump down to 12:25 when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission to Jerusalem they returned taking John Mark with them. I want you to circle John Mark right there. That, that's Barnabas's cousin. He's probably from Cyprus as well, just like Barnabas is. But, but he's living in Jerusalem at the time. And so he goes with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch. Now I want you to file that away because that's going to come back up in a moment. Now they're doing ministry in Antioch and they're taking these trips together. And, and so the board and the staff at, at Antioch, they think, hey, this is going well. We should do more of this, and we should get on with this. Jump down to chapter 13 and look at verse 2. It says, one day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, dedicate Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Now, if you've ever done any study in the book of Acts, then you know about Paul's missionary journeys. They make up a large, large portion of the book of Acts, and, and this one is the very first one. It is his inaugural trip. This is the uh, Paul as a rookie on the mission field. This is his year in A ball, right? But it was amazing. God was on the move big time. And you read this and you think, Paul is a phenom. I mean, he is incredible. And so Paul and Barnabas, they head out. And as they're heading out, Barney says, hey, Mark, I want Mark to come with us, Paul. And so Paul's like, great, you know, more the merrier. We got plenty of room. Come on, let's go. And the first stop they make is in Cyprus. 
which makes sense, right? Because Barnabas and, and John Mark are from there, but then they head to uh, Pamphylia and Perga and Antioch of Poseidon, and, and those are towns that are really hard to pronounce, but they're, they're along the coastline of present-day uh, Turkey. And, and you take a look at what happens once they hit the mainland. In chapter 13, jump down to verse uh, 13. And it says, there John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. He left them and he returned to Jerusalem. Now, we, we don't know exactly what happened there, but he did up and leave. And, and I, we don't know what happened. The scripture's not clear. Maybe he got homesick. Maybe he missed his mommy, right? Or we, we, we don't know what's happened. But, but like we said, he's probably from Cyprus, just like Barnabas. And, and so the first leg of the journey in his hometown was very familiar to him. But then they get on a ship and they set sail for a place that he had never been before. And maybe he got cold feet. He said, yeah, I'm done. I'm out of here. But let's keep going because we're getting into some awesome stuff here. Jump down to verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. I I wish I had got that kind of uh, reaction in the pastor's guest reception where people say, please, 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 pastor, please tell me you're going to speak that same message again next week or on that same subject again next week. But but it wasn't all roses and sunshine uh, for these guys. Jump down to verse 50. It says, the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city. That's so funny to me. It's humorous that, that that's who you need to cause a ruckus, right? The influential religious women. If you can get them roused up, you got a ruckus happening in, in the place. And, and it says, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town, right? Ouch, this is not good. And, and oh, well, Paul says, right, off to the next town. Iconium is the next town. And, and that's Paul's MO, right? If someone doesn't like you, you, you shake off the dust and you move on. And, and I want you to look at what happens uh, when they move on. Jump down to chapter 14 and verse 1. And it says, Paul and Barnabas went to the Jewish synagogue and preached with such power that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. And, and so they go to Lystra, and this is where things get a little weird, right? The, the people like them this time. They like Paul and they like Barnabas. In fact, they like them a lot. It's kind of weird, actually. Jump down to, to verse uh, 12, and it says, They decided that Barnabas was the Greek god Zeus. Right, and I get confused with with people all the time. I get confused with uh, Jeff Goldblum on a regular basis. Right, that I was in Jurassic Park, but I've never been confused with a Greek god. Right, and and that's what's happening here. They think that Barnabas is Zeus, and and then it goes on to say, and they thought Paul was Hermes. Right, that that since he was the chief speaker, and so they've got these guys confused with these Greek gods, which is just the complete opposite of what they were hoping for, right? And they tried and they tried and they tried to convince them that they weren't Greek gods. Again, it's not, I've never had to worry about uh, convincing anybody that I'm not a Greek god, but I will say to you today, I get this question all the time, and I just want to answer it for the record today. I don't use any steroids. I mean, this is all natural, just no steroids whatsoever. But from, from there, these guys are moving on. And they go to a place called Derb, right? And they preach there, and they're making disciples there. And, and just like they've been doing at all these other places. And, and when they feel like they've done all that they can do, they, they circle back and they head home. 
And you see this playing out in chapter 14. Jump down uh, to verse 21. And it says, After preaching the good news in Derb and making many disciples, Paul and Barnabas returned to Lystra and Iconium and Antioch of Poseidia, where they strengthened the believers. They encouraged them to continue in the faith, reminding them that we must suffer many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23. Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And so, man, the, the, these two are such a great team. They are this dynamic duo. And when they get home to Antioch to finally you know, put their aching feet up, the, look at the reception that they get in the Bible. Jump down to verse 27. Upon arriving in Antioch, they called the church together and reported everything that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith uh, to the Gentiles too. And so they're sharing this story and they're playing this story out and they're telling stories and they're giving testimonies and Paul is getting into it, right? They thought we were Greek gods, right? I know they thought Barney was Zeus, right? And everyone's laughing and crying and praising God and it's an amazing report of this missionary trip. And then maybe one of the deacons asked, hey, what happened to John Mark? Where, where, where is John? Where's Mark? And the room, it gets silent. Paul looks over at, at Barnabas, and his face is getting red. And Barnabas answers, well, he had to go back home to Jerusalem. And, and it's clear as you read the text that Paul's a little ticked at John Mark for bailing on them. But Barnabas is making excuses for his young cousin, and, and that little seed it, we're going to see grows into a disagreement, which is how many breakups start, right? Something small that festers, and it grows into a full-blown disagreement. And, and if you want to stop the breakup, you've you got to stop it at the small stage. That's what you have to do. And a, a chapter later in, in the book of Acts, they decide to do it again, right? This is mission trip part two. And here is where it all hits the fan in this story. Jump down to chapter 15, verse 36. It says, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and let's visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, verse 38. But Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Listen, their disagreement was sharp. It was so sharp that they separated. Literally what the Greek says there is that they each went one way. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and, and, and he left. And the believers entrusted them to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria, uh, Sicilia, strengthening the churches there. And so Paul and Barnabas, what a great partnership, right? It's a great combo. I, I would suggest to you there's never been a better combo with a Paul in it until the 1960s when you had Paul, Simon, and, and Garfunkel, right? And, and it says they had this strong, strong disagreement. They disagreed over an issue, and neither side was going to give any ground. You, you see that when you read this text. And I, I, I want to make just a couple of points here because the scripture is very clear 
to not be clear on was one of them right, was one of them wrong. And every time I've ever heard this text preached, they present it as this amazing divorce. And they say it's the saddest story in Scripture. I'm going to present it. It's not a divorce happening here. They just went on separate mission trips, and they disagreed with one another. And I just want to make a couple of points here. And these are not in your notes, but I think maybe you want to write them down. I think it's important, especially in a political year like we're in today, uh, for us to remember these things. First of all, I want to say this to you. I think Christians can disagree and both be right. They were here. Uh, the Bible does not indicate that either one of them were wrong. Maybe they were both right. Maybe they were both wrong. But, but the Bible doesn't pick sides here. The second thing that I want you to write down is that disagreements are not necessarily sin. They're not necessarily rooted in sin and somebody's part. You, you can disagree and not be in sin. And, and the third thing I want you to write down is this, that disagreements, they can serve beneficial purposes. They can. And, and this is one of those stories where it does. And, and one passage of Scripture that provides a whole lot of wisdom to figure this thing out is Romans chapter 12. Such a great chapter about relationships. L listen to Romans 12, verse 18. It says, do all that you can to live with peace with everyone or to live in peace with everyone. In other words, do everything in your power to make sure that that breakup doesn't happen. It is okay uh, to disagree. It is okay to have different viewpoints. And, and in fact, politically, I would just say to you this year, uh, you should have an opinion and you should get involved. And, and at times you should even defend your opinion and, and you should learn from other people. It's okay to have different viewpoints, but disagree in a way that promotes the gospel. Write this one down. Disagree in a way that promotes the gospel and preserves unity. Let me say that again. Disagree in a way that promotes the gospel and preserves unity. That's what we do as the children of God. Why? Because this is about we are better together. And you and I need to do whatever we can to keep our relationships with other believers intact and together. That's part of what we are to do as peacemakers. And in this story, you see two giants of the faith, Barnabas and Paul. And there is no indication anywhere in the Bible that either of them were rooted in pride in this issue or personal ambition or, or that they were offended and had offended feelings. Listen, I think they understood their differences were rooted in differing spiritual gifts, different outlooks, and, and maybe even different personalities, and, and they needed each other, right? They, they needed each other. They did a great work while they were together. And notice, listen, when Paul leaves, he takes Silas with him. And when Barnabas leaves, he takes John Mark with him. Why? Because they knew what we know, right? We are better together. And, and so I, what I want to do real quick is I just want to give you five or so uh, characteristics of this conflict. And as we study the characteristics of this conflict in Scripture, this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, uh, we see that it was good in the end. It was good in the end. So we ought to study it. And we can use these characteristics and these lessons in our own lives. And whenever you face disagreement in a relationship with other brothers and sisters in Christ, you go to these things. Okay? So let me give them to you. And I want you to write these down. Number one, keep it personal. Keep it personal. 
You disagree with another believer, you keep it personal. You, this is not where you air all your dirty laundry for the world to know about this argument. They did this thing face to face. They didn't involve a third party. They didn't fire off a hateful email. They, they didn't shame one another in social media and Instagram, right? It, it, it was a nice, neat uh, argument that where they went separate ways. It was done on a personal level. And honestly, I think you can say about both of them, they were a man about it. They respected each other, and they thought the world of each other. And no matter who we are, listen, we have to keep it out of the realm, these disagreements, of I'm going to tear you down because I've got hurt feelings, or I'm going to fire off this parting shot to stick it at you in this disagreement. And so we keep it personal, but also, secondly, don't take it personally. We don't take it personal. And you look through the story, and as you read through this story, and I would encourage you to do that this week, there are no signs of bitterness and no signs of anger. When Paul and Barnabas uh, broke up, where did they go? When they, when they went their separate ways, where, did they storm out and leave the ministry behind? No, they didn't. Did they quit the church o- over some disagreement? No, they didn't. Paul took Silas and hit the mission, mission trail again and saw such great stuff happen. And Barnabas took John Mark, and he went off with him and taught him along the way. And, and John Mark ultimately ends up becoming a really, really important person in the Bible, right? He writes the Gospel of Mark, the first gospel ever written. And it just makes sense that at such a young age, he needed this brother of encouragement to help him get in the ministry and get his feet under him in the ministry, which, by the way, Barnabas did that for Paul uh, just a few chapters earlier, right? And so how could they do that? How could they both go on journeys and, and build the church and, and, and work together but in different fronts? How, how could they do Because they didn't take it personal. Barnabas, listen, he could have gotten really, really, really sore at Paul's refusal. And, and remember, it was his cousin, right? Mark was his own flesh and blood, his cousin. And Barney could have said, Paul, this is my boy. This is my cousin. You can't do this, bro. If you reject him, you are rejecting me. He didn't do that. Listen, when we are at odds with someone else, it is so easy to let it get personal. And it's easy to take an offense and let the offense become a wound. And when we have wounds, we are hampered from doing what God wants us to do. And one way to keep from being wounded is not to take things personally. And the third thing that I want to give you, write this one down, is seek a resolution. Seek a resolution. Listen, both Paul and Barnabas, they saw it through to a resolution, right? It wasn't the one they wanted. It wasn't the one that either one of them wanted. But it was a resolution, and they kept at it until it was resolved. Listen, any good mediator is going to sit down in mediation, and the first thing they're going to say is, hey, when we leave the table today, everybody's going to feel like they lost a little. But in the end, they're going to realize that everybody won. Because in mediation, when somebody leaves the table and feels like, I won everything, in the end, they're going to lose. Listen, these guys sat down, and they discussed the issues, and they gave their side of the story. And when that didn't work, they tried some more, and they tried some more, and they tried some more, and they stuck to their convictions, right? But they came to a solution, and the solution is we're going to go this path, and you're going to go that path, and we're going to go do the same thing in different areas. Why? It was because of their convictions. Barnabas, listen, he was convinced. He needed to take Mark with him, right? And he, Somebody needed um, to hang with Mark and not desert him. Paul was convinced that, that 
If Mark went with him, he would be an anchor, right? They were convinced of two separate things. So the best resolution in that moment was to go our separate ways, to stay in this thing for the gospel and to stay in this thing for unity. And sometimes the resolution, it doesn't feel like a resolution because it's not what we want. We get emotional in these things that we want to go back to the start, right? We want to go back to how it was before. But sometimes, listen, that's just not possible. Why? Because of our convictions. If you have a conviction to live a certain way or to operate a certain way and that conviction conflicts with someone else's convictions, then you need to have a conversation. The solution is not to abandon your convictions. The solution is to put the people before uh, the politics or the people before the policy. And then you may have to split and go different directions. Listen, because they stuck to their convictions, the problem didn't continue to fester. They were able to get over it, and they were able to move on. And, and when you read the Bible a little later, eventually you see Paul calling up the church and saying, hey, send me John Mark. He would be great for me here. He would be great for this church. He would be great for this situation, which proves, listen, they stayed in relationship with one another. Paul stayed in contact with Barnabas, and he stayed in contact with John Mark. I don't think that call came out of the blue after years of silence. They stayed in contact building the church throughout the land, and they disagreed in a way that promoted the gospel and preserved the unity of the church. Number four. Don't make it a selfish issue. Listen, Paul and and Barnabas, they didn't break up because they were selfish or because they were looking out for their own uh, self-interest. This wasn't Paul looking to make some big name for himself and and Barnabas and John Mark are going to get in the way and hold him back. No, this was Paul saying, hey, I may end up dead, guys. That's just the truth. And and you know what? Mark's not ready for that. And, And Barney, he wasn't being selfish either, right? The son of encouragement wanted to help other people, not seek his own fame or his own name. He he was in this for others, and so he had to go a separate path to make it all work out. Not because either of them were selfish, but because they put their self on the shelf, right? And they put their fleshly desires on the back burner. Lastly, number five, don't make this a biblical issue. Don't make it a biblical issue. When it's not a biblical issue, listen, don't make it a biblical issue. Both of these guys were preachers, right? So they could have fired off some sermons at that point, right? They they could have started quoting the Torah and tweeting that out to one another, right? They they could have said, well, Deuteronomy 5 says this, or oh, yes, Psalm 39 says this, right? They could have gone to the text to try to prove their own point. And we as Christians are so good at that, and it's just wrong. Listen, instead, find common ground and decide this is a personality issue. they didn't try to one-up each other or, or, or over-spiritualize or out-spiritualize the other person. They did not use the Bible as a weapon, but as a bridge. And, and it was important for them to leave the door open on both ends. Why? Because they know what we've been talking about for weeks. We're all better together. And better together means we need diversity. Because diversity, it leads to strength. Paul, he had this very strong personality, and, and, and quite honestly, so did Barnabas, right? But, but Paul was this prophet guy. He was this truth teller. In fact, he was a truth slayer. And, and Barnabas was the other end of the spectrum. He was a mercy guy. He was the son of encouragement, right? Paul would tell it like it is, right? And he 
constantly was ruffling feathers, right? But Barnabas, he would lead with his heart, and he would lead with mercy, and, and, and lead with grace, which can have its downside as well, right? But Paul told it like it was. Barnabas was a, was a mercy person. In Galatians chapter 2, by the way, uh, there's a place where Paul calls uh, Barnabas and Peter out, and he says, hey, bros, you, you, you're messing this thing up because they were uh, throwing in with the Judaizers trying to make peace. And essentially they were saying, hey, you got to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. And Paul's like, no, 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 the gospel's at stake here. You cannot do that. We cannot add to the gospel, which mercy people, the, the error, the temptation for mercy people is to become errant. That they walk away from the truth in favor of a relationship. And, and truth people are just the opposite, right? They walk away from a relationship in order to preserve the truth. And Paul calls him out on that. Why? Because he's a truth guy. But I want you to hear me today. It's not just truth and it's not just mercy. We need both. And if you're on one end of the spectrum or the other, you need to find people on the other end of the spectrum to do life with. You need that so the two of you can be a tug-of-war to keep each other in check. Listen, Paul and Barnabas knew that. They were in this tension to be maintained, this tug-of-war. And if either party lets go of the rope, the other party falls off of the cliff. And because of our diversity, listen, we will multiply our strength. Why? Because we are better together. We are always better together. What else is better together, right? Biscuits and gravy better together, right? Pie and ice cream, especially if the pie is hot or the cobbler is hot, they're good by themselves, but they're just better together. Some of you are old as me, you'll remember that old Reese's uh, peanut butter cup commercial when we were kids, right? Maybe it was when Reese's was first coming out, I don't know if it was or not, but, but, but one guy would say, hey, who put chocolate in my peanut butter, right? And, and then the other person with the peanut butter would say, you know, who put peanut butter in my chocolate, right? They're two different things, but they are great together, right? It, I love Reese's. You could get me that for Valentine's Day, right? If you're chocolate, you need some peanut butter. And if you're peanut butter, find some chocolate. Find someone who can anchor you in the other direction. And if you're a truth slayer or a truth teller, listen, you probably get it right, but you offend people. Hear me, you offend people, and it's good to have right theology, and it's good to have right teaching, but if you don't have an audience who's going to hear it, you're in big, big trouble. And on the other side of the question, if you're a mercy person, listen, you attract other people, but, but what do you give them? Because without truth, you have nothing to give them, and you, you can't help them. So we need to make each other uh, friends, and we need to be the body of Christ and allow this thing to be balanced out so that we are stronger as the church. And where do you find that person who, who balances us and, and makes us stronger in the body of Christ? That's where you do that. And, and the theme throughout the whole New Testament, listen, it's unity in diversity. It's unity in diversity. Hear me, it is dangerous when a church, for the sake of unity, moves to uniformity. Because when you move to uniformity, you, you remove diversity. You remove diversity of culture. You move, remove diversity of race. You remove diversity of class. You remove diversity of gifting. You remove diversity of theology. And, and I think that when you're really the body of Christ, there is a whole lot less that are actually fellowship breakers than we think, right? Why? Because we are the body. We, we are the body of Christ. And we don't need uniformity. It's easier. It's so much easier for me 
me to uh, fire off you know, some social media or some gift of sarcasm or some, some attack on some public figure or some other speaker or some other preacher or whatever, and then retreat to my little huddle of people just like me. That's way easier. But I'm telling you, that's not the body of Christ. The body of Christ, we don't need uniformity. We just need unity. We got the same message, but we can disagree on the method. But above all, we have to have unity, right, as the body of Christ, to love each other. Why? Because we are better together. We are better together. And listen, during this political year, it's unique, and and everybody's engines get fired up, and everybody's emotions get fired up. I I just want to challenge you, church. Would you put people above politics? Would you not burn every bridge with every relationship that God wants you to influence in the name of Christ in this one year, that that next year when the engines all die down and the emotion runs out the window, that now you've burned the bridge and you don't have any influence and you don't have any relationship, right? Would you put people above policy? Would you put people uh, above problems? Would you put people first? Why? Because the way we love God, remember the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And the way you do that in this world is by loving your neighbor as yourself. And and I'll just say it to you this way. Democrat or Republican, left or right, you are precious in his sight. Because Jesus loves the little children of the world. And would you this year, would you put people first and look like the bride of Christ? Let's pray together. Every campus, every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, we pray today as a church that you would take us further into maturity and that we wouldn't give way to uniformity, but we would pursue unity and we would pursue the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we would look like the body of Christ, which is very diverse and and is varied in gifting and personality and and even... uh, theology. Father, would you just help us to look like the body of Christ to those who desperately need a relationship with Jesus? Would you give us influence in this world for the cause of Christ? And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, right where you're seated on any one of our campuses or watching online, I want to lead you in a prayer helping you do just that giving your life to Jesus Christ, to cross that faith line and and to trust him. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer one phrase at a time so that you can repeat it after me. And and those who have already prayed it are going to be praying out loud to encourage you. But if you want to trust Christ and give your life to Jesus, right where you're seated, would you just pray with me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner, but today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, would you come into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior, to be my forgiver? And the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. Thank you for saving me, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray and together we all say, Amen and amen. Would you give the Lord a hand and thank him for moving in our midst and moving in our church. Don't forget, next week I'm beginning a brand new series called Love Does. And if you've got friends that are unchurched or dechurched, this is the series for you to bring them to. Uh, I love you, and uh, I'm going to turn it over to the campus pastors.